0: All right, we are in the book of Acts, so open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Who are my Olympic fans out there? Who's been watching the Olympics? Who's kind of ready for it to be over with because you're just not sleeping at all? (laughs) That's where I'm at. Like I love it. Uh, but there is there's nothing like it. I have sucked my kids into it, and so they are all into it. We are staying up way too late, laying, letting them stay up too late. But there is something amazing about getting the best athletes in the world together and watching them compete on the biggest stage and seeing, seeing them do things I could never dream of doing. And I like just about all of it. Now, there's some strange sports out there. Like something, like trampoline, like jump on a trampoline. I'm like, I could do that. I could do a couple flips on the trampoline. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that lightly because the things that they can do on the trampoline, even I'm like, I would break my neck in no time. But I love it all. Like even badminton. I was watching badminton and how fast. They get those birdies going. It it is mind-boggling to me that people can do something like that that is a kid's game for me. Uh, Amazing things. But my favorite thing, and I think probably our family's favorite thing to watch is swimming. Any swimming fans out there? Now, I'm not saying you have to be, you know, like, it's like every time the Olympic comes out to here's. I don't know if you're like me, but, like, next time I get in the pool, I'm, like, trying to be... Like, the next greatest thing. And and every Olympics, I'm trying to think, what sport could I be involved in to where four years I could win a gold medal? Like, that's kind of the the way I dream. But, like, there is something, too, about watching those swimmers who just dominate. And if you've watched the Olympics for any amount of times over the last several uh, games, you know the name Michael Phelps. Like, the greatest swimmer of all Time. I mean, this guy has won 28 medals in his career, 23 gold medals. The next closest person has won 14 less than he has. I mean, just dominating. Every time he stepped in the water, you knew something special was going to happen. And if you've watched this year's swimming at all, you know the name Caleb Dressel. And one of my favorite uh, swimming things to watch is the 50 meter. That's just like one length of the pool where everybody's going crazy. And it's always like close to the end, but not this year. I mean, Caleb absolutely dominated. You got to go home and watch it. He won by like over half a second, which was the greatest victory margin in the history of the 50 meter freestyle. We love to be dazzled, don't we? I think it's in our human nature. We love to be amazed by something. But there is nothing that is more amazing. Nothing, no one who is more unstoppable than God. Amen? No one who dominates like the Lord. The Lord has no losses. Do you realize that? There are no defeats in his record. Even his death ended up being a victory that Satan had no idea. And it is important for us to understand as believers that our God cannot be stopped. Can I get an amen this morning? God cannot be stopped. And so let's jump into our text this morning. I'm a little fired up today. I realized that already. I got to slow it down a little bit here. Acts chapter 5. Follow with me as I read starting in verse 17. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing word that you've given us. We thank you for the fact that, Lord, we've already sang about it this morning, that you are unstoppable. There is nothing that can get in the way of your plans. There is nothing, nothing that compares with you, Lord. No one that compares with you. And even when you give mission for your people to follow that mission will be carried out to completion not because of us not because of anything in us not because of our flesh and our abilities to perform but lord because of your power that is at work within us and even in the disciples lord all through the book of acts that we've seen it's all about you working through others and lord you are able to work through us as well and Lord, it is so easy for us to get sidetracked. Number one, either we, we think we've got it all together and we make it all about ourselves. Or number two, we just think that we're worthless and we have nothing to offer. And Lord, we need to be somewhere in the middle understanding that with you, all things are possible. Lord, we can make a difference in our world. And so Lord, I pray this morning that you would, you would charge us. You would energize us with the understanding that you cannot be stopped so lord would you speak through me this morning speak through your word it's in jesus name we pray amen so as we look at this passage just there's something first of all there's a warning for us that we need to be aware of and that warning is this beware of a jealous heart beware of a jealous heart the last time we were at acts Which was a couple weeks ago, we saw the apostles performing many signs and wonders. The sick were being brought out into the street so that they could, if they could just get in the shadows, they might be healed. Just get in the shadows of the apostles, they might be healed. And certainly many of the people were healed. And multitudes of people were coming to Christ. The church was on the move. And as we see here in our text this morning, the high priests and the Sadducees were not happy. Now, remember, the Sadducees, they were the ones who didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And the apostles were preaching the resurrection. So a lot of this jealousy, a lot of this anger was coming from the fact that they were proclaiming something they didn't believe in. And the fact that people were responding to these simple-minded disciples of Jesus. These weren't impressive people. These weren't the people who were in the Jewish schools, who were at the top of their class. These were simple people, fishermen, who Jesus had rescued and brought to himself, and they were doing miraculous things that made no sense. Their their preaching came with power, and people were affected by it. And this made the religious leaders angry, because they wanted the attention. And as we see there, verse 17, they were filled with jealousy. Now, here's a couple things for us to be aware of. Like, why is jealousy so dangerous? Now, first of all, we might think, well, God was a jealous God. It says he's jealous for his people. He's jealous for his glory. Well, he's God, and he's the only one that's worthy of glory. And so he can be jealous in a righteous way. But for us, when we have jealousy in our hearts, we should be on edge, and we should be aware of that. Here's a few things that jealousy does for us. First thing, jealousy makes you blind. Jealousy makes you blind. It causes you to lose the ability to see the good that others are doing. Like you see that? Like the apostles are not making things harder for the community. They are making things much better. They're healing people. People who have been sick for years for their whole life. They've had injuries their whole life and haven't been able to come over or are all of a sudden being healed from this. They're performing miracles and signs. The energy level of the people is increasing. The morale of the people, it's getting better. But when we get jealous of people who are succeeding, even in the church, we become blind and we lose sight of the fact that God is using people for his glory. We become blind to that. The Sanhedrin officials wanted the attention that the others were receiving. Instead of being grateful for the many people who were healed, they were jealous and blinded of all the good that was taking place. On top of that, they were blind to the fact that God is the one who deserves the glory. Now, if you read the apostles, are they saying, hey, look what we can do. Look what we can do. Look at me. I got this. No, in fact, they were almost angry. It was almost to the fact like, how dare you say this is about us? This is about God working through us. This is, God is the one that deserves the glory. But jealousy, when others are receiving attention, jealousy causes us to be blind to the reality that any good fruit that comes from us, only God deserves the glory. Jealousy makes you blind. Jealousy also makes you deaf. Jealousy also makes you deaf. When we allow jealousy to reign in our hearts, we stop listening to those around us, don't we? Those who are going to call us out for our sin, we stay away from them. We start to drift from those who are going to help us to see things clearly. We become deaf and we turn our ear away from the wisdom of God from his word, we become deaf to his word, we can't hear his word anymore, we don't turn to it anymore, we turn away from his people who can help us. Jealousy makes you deaf. And instead of asking others if you are seeing things clearly, you seek to find those who you know are gonna think the same way that you do. Because they're just gonna feel what you know, what you think is true, and you're gonna start to spiral out of control. Do you see that in jealousy? Do you see that when you become jealous and you don't guard your heart, you are just looking to surround yourself with people who are going to be yes men to what you think. Jealousy makes you deaf. And then lastly, jealousy makes you dumb. Jealousy makes you dumb. Instead of celebrating the deliverance that many people were experiencing, they threw the apostles into prison. Do you see the craziness of that? They are making a difference in their community. People are being transformed physically. The lame man who was in the temple, who was leaping in the temple because they were healed. People's lives are being changed. And they lost sight of the fact that people's lives were in a much better place because of the apostles. But that's what jealousy does to us, doesn't it? And the question we have to answer ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, is this Are you aware of any jealousy in your heart that has left you unable to see the good God is doing through others? Certainly, as a preacher, anytime you have somebody come up here, the temptation could be to, well, what if they're better than me? What if I invite somebody in and they do a better job than me? Well, it's not about me, it's not about the other preacher. It's just a matter of being faithful to God and his word and trusting that he's going to move through. And we can be jealous as we look at others who are doing good things in our community and we start looking for ways that we can say, well, that's, well, no, I I think I see a little pride there. I think they're actually giving so that they can be looked at and be praised for what they're doing without even any legitimacy to that. That's what jealousy does. We start looking at people and trying to justify why we're not giving as much as they may be giving. Now, certainly, people may find themselves in that place, but we have to guard our own hearts to make sure that we're not jealous of any attention others are receiving for the work that they're doing for the kingdom. It's a slippery slope, and I find myself doing that. I find myself looking to criticize other pastors or, or, or whatnot, saying, well, they didn't say it quite the right way. You know, if they would have said it this way, it would have been much better. Like that's, I think that's heresy. And really, most times, it's not heresy. It may be just a preferential Statement that we make as if I have it all together myself. That's what happens with jealousy. We start to think that we have it all together and everybody else is the problem. It it really all of this reminds me of John the Baptist. Now you remember John the Baptist came on the scene really before Jesus did. Jesus was I want to say silent, but he he didn't do a whole lot. He didn't he didn't stir the people, he wasn't performing a lot of miracles for the first about 30 years of his life. And John the Baptist came to pave the way. And John had developed this following. And he could have very easily allowed his thoughts to become jealous of Jesus. But listen to what how John responded to all the attention that Jesus was getting. Turn with me to, to John chapter three, real quick. Keep your finger here. Turn to John. Chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 25. It's important for us to see this. I think what a great example of, of John the Baptist who had a great following, and yet Jesus was starting to get all the attention because he had popped on the scene. He was doing these miracles. But listen to how John the Baptist responds. Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to john and said to him rabbi he who was with you across the jordan to whom you bore witness look he is baptizing and all are going to him this is jesus of course that they're referring to verse 27 john answered a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven there's that understanding that any good thing that we have any good works that we perform is from the lord You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He's not angry that the attention is being pulled away from him. He's excited because the real groom has come. The one that he has been paving the way for is here for his bride. And I love verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, we don't live this life in order for us to be at the forefront of the attention. I'm not running this life to be the gold medal winner For people to worship and bow down to. I must decrease. He must increase. May God receive the glory. Beware of a jealous heart. Look at verse 19. So verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Here's what we see in this. No one can stop the work of the Lord. No one can stop the work of the Lord. Man tried to stop the work of Christ being proclaimed to the people. They thought they could control the situation by locking the apostles up. But when God gives a mission, a mission for us to fulfill, he will give us the power and the resources to complete it. And God will complete his work. And for the apostles, the work was not yet done. And so God frees them. Now the writers here in Acts, the, the, the writers of the ESV interpret to say it's the angel of the Lord. We don't really know who that's referring to. But what we do know is that God delivers them from physical harm. Now, we could be tempted to look at this and think, okay, as long as I am about the work of God, I can't be stopped. I physically can't be stopped. No one's going to get in my way. Now, if we have that, we're going to set ourselves up for failure and major disappointments. The point of this is not that it's not that um, we are unstoppable in ourselves in this world. It's not that as if we can go about our business as long as we're serving the Lord and we're gonna live forever, we're gonna have good health, we're gonna prosper. That's not what Luke is trying to say because this is not about man cannot be stopped. The man of God cannot be stopped. That's not what it's saying here is God cannot be stopped. The real worker here is God. And remember the key verse in Acts is Acts 1.8. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Where does the power come from? It comes from the power spirit whom God has given us. That's where the power comes from. The power is not in, the, in us ourselves. The power is God in us. God through us is where the power comes from. And this call to take the gospel to the end of the earth the work of the lord here is still happening today do you realize that like this call to take the gospel to the end of the earth is not just for the apostles it's for every believer until jesus comes back what is our mission what's our goal is to take the gospel to the end of the earth it's not to come to church and hear the gospel from the preacher it's to hear it and then take it to the end of the earth and all along the way there have been Christians who have literally given their lives for the advancement of the gospel. And even in the book of Acts, we will read in a couple weeks of Stephen, who boldly proclaims Jesus to his death. Did, did Stephen somehow, like it's unfair the way Stephen was treated because he was killed? Well, the temptation for many believers is to put all their eggs in the earth basket Building up their earthly kingdom, getting as much as we can here. And so when sickness comes, when, when, fi- when uh, firing comes from a job, when death comes, we can have the temptation. If all our ba- eggs are in the basket of earth, we're going to find ourselves in a deep place of depression. But if we understand that we are just strangers passing through, longing, seeking a greater kingdom, then come what may, we're going to serve the Lord. Take what you want. Christ in Matthew 10, 28 says this. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The point is not that man who is doing the work of God cannot be stopped. The point is God cannot be stopped. And he will use his believers to pursue his work. And if a believer is taken out of this world through martyrdom, then he's gonna be raised to new life with Christ. No more sorrow, no more pain. And that kind of believer who understands that they're not living for this earthly kingdom, that one is unstoppable. That is the one who is unstoppable because he understands God is the one who holds their life. And he is the one who holds our life. The security we have in Christ The protection as believers we have in him is eternal life. People may be able to kill our bodies if we choose to follow Christ, but they cannot touch our souls. And those of us who have repented and placed our faith in Christ, we are hidden with Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies. Our identity lies with him. And when our time is up, it will will not matter how we die. We will meet our Savior face to face and be with him in glory forever. January 2nd, 1956 was the day that 29-year-old Jim Elliott had waited for most of his life. He jumped out of bed, dressed as quickly as he could, and got ready for the short flight over the thick Ecuador jungle. Almost three years of jungle ministry and many hours of planning and praying had led Jim to this day. Within hours, he and four other missionaries would be setting up camp in the territory of a dangerous and uncivilized Indian tribe known then as the Aukas, known now as the Wa'odani. The Aukas had killed all outsiders ever caught in their area. Even though it was dangerous, Jim Elliott had no doubt God wanted him to tell the Aukas about Jesus. And while flying over Alka territory, Nick Saint, a pilot, found an open place on the beach where they could land. The missionaries were flown in one by one and dropped off on the Alka beach. Nate Saint then flew over the Alka village and called for the Alkas to come to the beach. After four days, an Alka man and two women appeared. It was not easy for them to understand each other since the missionaries only knew a few Alka phrases. They shared a meal with them and Nate took the man up for a flight in the plane the missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them to bring others next time. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for other Alkas to return. Finally, on day six, two Alka women walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete excitedly jumped in the river and waded over to them. As they got closer, these women did not appear friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them. As they turned, they saw a group of Alka warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Jim Elliott reached for the gun in his pocket. He had to decide instantly if if he should use it, but he knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised they would not kill an Alka who did not know Jesus to save himself from being killed. Within seconds, the Alka warriors threw their spears killing all the missionaries, Ed McCauley, Roger Uderian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. But don't think that Operation Alka ended there because it didn't. In less than two years, Elizabeth Elliott, her daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, were able to move the Alka village, and many Alkas became Christians. God is unstoppable. These missionaries lost their lives for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. From, a, from an earthly standpoint, that we could say it was a failure. They didn't survive. But we know that through Christ, his work is unstoppable. And it was because of their death that ultimately led a way for the Alcas to be saved. And one day, we will all celebrate with Alca Indians because of the faithfulness of those who understood that God's work, that God was Unstoppable. Things may feel at times like they are falling apart. We as elders at times here have felt like things were crumbling. And I'm sure that we will have more moments like this, but we know that no one can stop the work of the Lord. It's not us that are going to build the church. Not the elders who are going to make this church survive. If this church is going to do anything, it's going to be because of God working through us. No one can stop the work of the Lord, not man, not the Alka Indians, not Satan, not Satan and his demons. So let me ask you, are you living in the hope of the Lord this morning? Are you confident that if you live your life to do the work of the Lord, that he will make it prosper? Remember, this world is not our home. We are just passing through, looking to glorify one name and one name alone, the name of Jesus the one who is worthy of our praise, the one who has rescued us from our sin when we were on our way to hell. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our submission to him and his work cannot be stopped. Look at verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So if indeed we know that nothing can stop our God, then this is our calling. Be about the Lord's work. If he cannot be stopped, then be about the Lord's work. At this point, the Lord gives the apostles the instructions to go preach again in the temple. And they are to speak all the words of this life, it says in the ESV. What does that phrase mean, this this life I think it's referring to the gospel. Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim the fact that this Christian life is all about God's glory. It's all to be lived out to to reflect His glory. Now at this point, how would you be feeling if you were one of the apostles? (laughs) You're going, you're performing these miracles, people are being healed, but then they throw you in prison. The same people who crucified Jesus. And then the most amazing thing happens. You're in prison, wondering what's going to happen to you. And then the angel shows up, opens the doors, and you walk out. And then he's like, say, go back to it. (laughs) Go do what you just got arrested for. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, are you sure? Do you you realize what happened to Jesus? Okay, they're giving us a a second and third chance here. Like, do we really want to push our luck here? And yet... Daybreak happens, and they're at it again. They would not neglect the Lord's work and were willing to do anything for the sake of Christ. What makes a person willing to endure suffering for preaching the name of Jesus? How do you get to the point of pressing on no matter the consequences? Here's a few thoughts. I think it starts with a genuine connection with Christ. Genuinely being connected with Christ. Having a real relationship with him. They knew Jesus. They interacted with him. They had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And because of their connection with Christ, they had a genuine conviction in Christ. Everything that they had with Christ was real. In their hearts, they knew Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They were fully convinced Jesus is who he says he was. And so they had the conviction to pursue and proclaim Christ with all that they had. And so with a genuine connection to Christ and a genuine conviction in Christ, they had a genuine calling to Christ. They understood what their calling was. It was to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Nothing else mattered. Not any other job they would have held, not any relationship they had, nothing mattered except for taking the gospel, living it out, and taking it to the end of the earth. And as you think about your life, are you about the Lord's work? When you look at the things that you spend your time on, you look at the things that you spend your money on, are you doing it for the sake of the Lord? Is God's glory at the forefront of everything you do. That this doesn't matter if you're working for the church or you're working in a secular job. We all have the same mission, don't we? Your mission isn't different than mine. Now, your job looks differently than mine may look. But your mission, you don't have a job to make money so that you can provide for your family. That's a byproduct. Do you understand that? Like that is a byproduct of what you are called to do. You are called to have a job so that you can be around other people. So that you can share the good news of Jesus. Because you have a genuine connection to him. You have a genuine conviction that Christ is who he says he is. And you understand that you have a genuine calling to Christ. To take the gospel to the end of the earth. One of my favorite and most convicting quotes is this by C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and think that I've wasted it on earthly kingdom building things. If the greatest thing I say is I provided well for my family, I've missed it. Is that part of it? Certainly it's part of it. I'm not saying, like, don't provide for your family and just go preach the gospel and don't worry about paying for things and feeding your kids. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying understand that everything you do, your job, is a mission field. Your neighborhood, God has placed you specifically in a place where you live to reach your neighbors. God has placed gospel community in this church, in Goshen, for a reason. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and find out that I wasted it. That I had a good family and we loved each other, but we did nothing to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Certainly my kids hear the gospel on a regular basis, but I also pray that my heart gets even more burdened for those who are lost. My encouragement for you. This is to spend time this week seeking the Lord and evaluating who or what you are living your life for. What is it that matters most to you? Not by what you say is most important, but by what your life shows is most important to you. And if I'm honest, there are times where those are two different things. Then consider what needs to change to make sure you are about the Lord's work. Maybe you might come to the realization that your relationship with Christ is weak and and you just need to spend time with your Savior in his word, not to check the box off. I encourage you, God's word is not there for this task. If you have to read the Bible, when you get to understand who your Savior is, he's amazing. He's not a taskmaster who's up there with a hammer ready to hit your head every time you screw up. If that's the Jesus you are following, you are following a different Jesus. Are there consequences for sin? Yes, there are consequences for sin. But it also says that whom the Savior has set free, he is what? He is free indeed. Jesus then says, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you more work and make you more weary. Come to me who who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you what? Are you experiencing rest in the Lord? If you aren't experiencing rest, maybe it's because you don't understand who your savior is. I don't say that to beat you up. I say that to say there's good news. His burden is easy, his yoke is light. Come taste and see that the Lord is good, but you can't find out if he's good if you're not in the word. This book is good news, not a list of rules to follow. So if you're weak in the Lord, maybe you just need to spend time with your Savior to understand who he is. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Maybe your relationship with Christ is growing. But maybe the conviction part of Jesus really is who he says he is. And the calling piece is missing. And you would do well to spend time with Christ in pursuing what is the mission that he has for you. How can you take the gospel to the end of the earth? Maybe it could be as simply as praying for those who are lost. Spending some time asking the Lord for for opportunities. Maybe you don't have a big community of people who are unsaved. And so maybe it's like, Lord, help me to be around more unbelievers. If I'm honest, that's where I can find myself with. I'm I'm not around a whole lot of unbelievers in the office. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Zach's saved, so... So I need wisdom and even how to reach out. A lot of our neighbors around us are all saved. And so it's like, Lord, help me to understand who is lost. Help me to have the burden, the conviction. Lord, if you are who you say you are, then you have called me to do the work of the ministry, which is to take the gospel to the end of the earth. The good news is that we don't go alone. And that any good works we do and any fruit we see is all for the glory of God. Amen? Our God is unstoppable, and he will equip us to do his work. And he won't stop until it is complete. And may God use us to advance his kingdom and glorify his name in everything we do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace that has rescued us, Lord. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to your mercy, you saved us. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts this morning from any jealousy that we see. Whether it be at work, whether it be in light of like Christianity and those who we may be tempted to try to poke and find a hole, find a gap so that we can feel better about ourselves. Lord, would you strike that out of us? Would you take that away? Jealousy makes us blind, deaf, and dumb, Lord. Lord guard our hearts in that lord and i pray that you would remind us that you cannot be stopped and we should not fear those who can kill the body but not the soul or we should fear those who could kill the soul and throw the body in hell and lord for those of us who have repented and placed our faith we are free and Lord, give us confidence to know that when we pursue your works, when we, do, we are about the things of you, that Lord, you're going to bring those things to completion. And if, and if we die in the process, we know that that is not in vain. And we know that we are not living for the our earthly kingdom. We are living for the kingdom to come. We are just strangers passing through. And forgive us, Lord, when we are living to build our kingdom here. Give us the heavenly mindset, Lord, that we would cast off the things of this world that hold on to us and pull us down, that we would be about taking the gospel to the end of the earth, not out of obligation, but out of the fact that we have a genuine connection with you. Lord, we've tasted and seen that you are good, and we have the conviction that you are who you say you were. And Lord, that we would understand our calling, and that we would be motivated not because the preacher said it, not because... It's something that Christians should do, but out of the overflow and the abundance of our heart, because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we want others to taste and see that the Lord is good. God, change our motivation. So often, Lord, we, we bury ourselves with these expectations that are unmeetable, with these rules. God, let our motivation be flowing out of a genuine relationship with you that is overflowed with how great you are. And Lord, I thank you for your mercy on us. Lord, that even today, we don't have to carry our burdens. Even in light of the message, we don't have to walk out of here condemned because there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Lord, just remind us this morning of how great you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.